All right, looks like I'm live again. This is my second live video for the night. Hold on, I just made some fresh coffee here, so I'm going to need it. And um, welcome anybody who's who's uh, crossed over from the Torah portions. And if you're uh, tuning into this video and you weren't a part of the last one, that's okay. Quick explanation as to my surroundings here. I am in a hotel tonight. Uh, I've been giving all my live videos on Friday nights over the last few weeks in different hotels. Uh, they're all within a close radius of where we're staying. We're ending this year for the last three months of the year uh, down in Florida on the beach, uh, right on the Gulf Coast. We're literally on the sand. We're glamping uh, in our fifth wheel. And it's a tradition we've been doing for about 10 years now. We love to end every year in our fifth wheel. Uh, sometimes we spend like, I mean, we live in a house, right? But uh, we sometimes spend like half the year in um, uh, our, our fifth world just because as a family, we like being close together. Uh, but for those of you with children, you know how it goes, you know, in tight spaces. So I rent this office, as I call it, uh, one day a week. I come in here, do my recordings, just finish tour portions. And hopefully tonight we're going to finish uh, the Book of Wisdom. And I've been so encouraged by this. I've been so encouraged that I'm actually going to, my plan is to actually continue another book from Colbrin. And um, there's, I can't, I can't, can't recall the name of it right now, but it's basically like uh, there's 22 chapters in uh, Book of Wisdom. You can see we're doing chapter 21, 22 tonight. And this has like something like 60 something chapters, but it's like Book of Wisdom, but much larger. I've been so encouraged by this. People have, just been going crazy over this book really been loving it uh so i hope to continue the trend with colbrin we'll be covering more of them in the near future so if you enjoyed this hopefully you have more to look forward to and you know it, these th the last two chapters are phenomenal though so i i probably don't even need to give you commentary i might talk about some of it let's start this up and go through it chapter 21 a word to prophets and preachers pausing for another drink of coffee because it's my video and I'll do what I want to. All right. The true prophet is a message bearer who has heard a voice carrying out across the distances. The message may not be clearly heard and perhaps conveyed with errors and distortion. Some people right now are going like, what? Burn the book. But if it is the dedicated effort of a sincere man, it must be of value, all right? Now, what it's what they're going to talk about in here is that a true prophet may speak erroneously, right? They may give information that is not completely true. And this right here goes completely against church thinking because, you know, I, I grew up in a Protestant church and this idea that if, if a prophet says one thing, one thing that is incorrect, they are a false prophet. You were never, never to listen to them again. And as far as I'm concerned, that's actually not scripturally true. It's almost like this tradition of men, we've heard it so many times uh, that we believe it must be true because it's been said over and over repeatedly. Fact of the matter is, and what they're going, the, the case they're going to make in this chapter is that um, 
when you're hearing this voice from beyond the veil, all right, and you're 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 you have like your own worldview and your own biases and the way you interpret things, and they're gonna say you need to be real careful about not as a prophet, not overstepping your bounds to 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 speak plainly what you think is being conveyed and not fill in the blanks because this is where you're going to screw up. All right. Now, when we get into the Deuteronomy 13 test, this is a lot of people don't, you know, when you come over to the Torah and you start understanding that the Torah is Yahuwah has instructions and in righteous living, uh, you know about the Deuteronomy 13 test. Well, the thing is, is so the Deuteronomy 13 test is talking about someone who comes into the camp and says that they have a message from, you know, from heaven, right? And they're coming in as a prophet. And it doesn't necessarily tell you that all the information that you, you define a false or true prophet based on the information they give you. Great example of this is Jonah. Yonah. He goes over there to Nineveh and he tells them a message that, that doesn't happen. They're not destroyed. Yahuwah comes in and he shows them compassion and he preserves them. And he's convinced, like he's concerned about being a false prophet, right? Well, what makes someone a false prophet is if they tell you to be disobedient to the covenant, to the Torah, to the instruction in righteous living that Yahuwah has given as commands. If someone comes in and tells you to be disobedient to that, say, you don't have to keep the, <clears throat> excuse me, you don't have to keep the law anymore. You don't have to keep the commands where we heard this before. It's been done away with. It was nailed to the, the cross. You've heard this. Uh, that person is not to be listened to. All right. That is a false prophet. Um, it, it's not about whether, you know, they they get all the, the little details right or wrong. All right, let's continue. Because there are many false prophets, and that's obviously true. Because there are many false prophets, the words of a true prophet do not lose their value. It's almost like a like what we would call cheap currency, right? It's it's almost like there, I mean, you become jaded. There is so many people claiming to be prophets and they're false prophets. It doesn't, it, it, it's almost like, you know, we, we don't put any value on any of them, right? That any of them could have a true word. No man has ever sought to counterfeit a valueless thing. That's, let me read that again. No man has ever sought to counterfeit a valueless thing. So the fact that there is so much counterfeit out there, you could say the same thing about religion. The fact that there is so much counterfeit spirituality, counterfeit religion, just goes to show that it is a valuable thing, or else there would not be so much of it. The vine is judged by the drink it produces and not by its leaves and appearance. Judged by its fruit, right? What is the fruit? The fruit of the Ruach HaKadosh, and it's actually the Torah. We could do a whole study on that just to back that up and show. It is the end product that matters. I fully agree. Judge someone by their fruit. The pattern of the divine design is marvelous, and it's working intricate. The threads are many, and their preparation involves countless processes. The weavers are numerous, but few can visualize what magnificent, what magnificent, magnificence. Sorry, I can. It's getting late, but few can visualize what magnificence completion may reveal and none can see the uncompleted whole therefore those who would show others the pattern to follow should not 
seek to guess at what lies beyond their own range of vision. There it is, right? So each of us are only given these, these small pieces. Like we don't have the full picture. And we're trying, the, the, the point of the spirit of prophecy is to get someone on that narrow path, to get them walking in the right direction, the, 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 the direction of repentance, of morality. I mean, that, that's really the spirit of prophecy. That's, when Yehusha HaMashiach showed up, he, he needed people to repent. Right, he called on he, he called the the, the perishing these whitewashed tombs and you know that they weren't going to inherit the kingdom because they were an unrepentant sort who was leading people in the wrong direction, right? And by the traditions of men, that's what we're trying to do. It, we don't have the full vision. We're just trying to get people on that path. All right. So if you are a prophet chosen to guide, do not exceed the scope of your authority, or seek to describe things beyond the reach of your light. Right, like we were just having this discussion before we went live with the tour portion tonight about pre-existence. We were talking, and, and I was trying to make the case about how, um, you know, we can argue, like, say, reincarnation, whether that's a thing or not, and that goes in like a Jewish mysticism, like Kabbalah, they're really into reincarnation. But the, the fact of the matter is, because I'm convinced that there is pre-existence, meaning that we had a life before this one, and that we will have a life beyond this one the spiritual realm that's three lives right there and you can see that the salvation the 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 the, the reforming process of 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 the pursuit of holiness actually jumps multiple lives right but then we started getting into like you well what is this all like you know what was our pre-existent life like and why did we come to earth and then all these different there were all these different kind of opinions that came in that we were all kind of speculating and at the end, there's a lot of speculation, right? This is what I'm talking about. We don't have the full picture. We There is plenty of scripture to show that there was a pre-existent life, that the father of Ruokoth created all souls at the beginning, all souls, even those that are not born yet. They're all created at the beginning. Something happened in the past. Here we are. We had that life. We have this one. And then there will be a life beyond this, right? <clears throat> Uh, continuing on, go forward with courage and confidence, and the voice of the divine will teach you the signs along the road and make clear their meaning. I man, I just every line of this I love. So as you as you go forward, right, you don't have all the answers, and there's been so many times where I've talked about things like pre-existence, for example. I remember the first time I brought it up, and I'm like, well, guys, I'm seeing this theme of like there's I don't know what it means, but there's pre-existence. And as you as you go forward and you test this and you start to get more and more clarity, one of the ways you know you're going in the wrong direction is if everything starts getting confused. And there's been a few times where I have backtracked on a few issues. I'll tell you one right now. Uh, when I was going down the, the anti-Paul route, um, I'm, you know, I'm sorry for if some people are listening, there are anti-Paul. I'm not coming down on you guys, and that's a decision you have to make. But everything started becoming more, a lot of ways more bitter and angry. And I was just seeing a lot of that, a lot of muddled and a lot of people falling to the wayside. I'm like, this is not the right path to be on. And when I when I follow something where I'm not sure of it first, but it starts bringing more clarity and the pieces start coming together and I get a fuller picture, I'm like, yes. This is what we want to see happen, right? And the divine is teaching you the signs along the road as you're walking, just as it says. When you stand up to deliver your message, many hypocrites will gather and declare their belief in what you say. 
The words they speak may deceive you, for they are a cloak disguising their true garb. And because of their hypocrisy, those who would otherwise listen to your words will turn away in disgust. Therefore, when you make converts, beware of including the faint-hearted and hypocrites, for they will only be a liability. Do not be afraid to speak up when men will listen to what you have to say. And that and that's important here, right? Uh, oh, but also know when to be silent and hold your peace, right? Another way to say this is do not throw pearls before swine. And this is of the utmost importance that when people start coming to the truth, they want everybody to know. And this is, it's the same biographical story repeated amongst all the truthers. They came to the truth, they woke up, and then they started the rest of the story is they started burning bridges. They started torching everything. Like all the relationships fell apart. And it's like, because you couldn't keep your mouth shut, huh? You just, you had to, you know, and, and maybe it was pride. It was all sorts of stuff. And you finally, you kind of start settling in this journey. You start getting, you, you have knowledge, but you start getting wisdom and you're like, I don't want those people to hear this. I don't want them to hear this because they're going to trample on it. They're going to trample on, a, on the treasures of heaven. These are the mysteries of heaven. And in some ways, it's almost like when you give people the mysteries and they're not ready to receive it, they're not willing to receive it, you're kind of almost in a way damning them more. You're doing more damage because you're getting them to reject it. And that's not a good thing. If they're not ready to hear it, just shut up. Don't, don't talk about it. You only this kind of stuff. You talk to people who are like they're they're they, they're willing to receive it. They're they're seeking. Like you search those people out. It's almost like in the movie The Matrix, where you know they're 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 seeking out. Like they they sought out Neo, right? They're they're seeking uh, seeking. They're seeking out people who are looking for the truth. Um, and so. Be silent and hold your peace. It is futile to waste words when you will not be given a hearing. Wasted wasted energy, right? You will have to contend with many false-faced prophets whose words are beautiful uh, babbles falling from silver tongues. They attract the attention of many who will listen for pleasure and so are led astray. That's the bulk of humanity. Uh, it was earlier in the Book of Wisdom where I, I love the line where it, it talked about how um, a babbling brook is the it, it's shiny and glittery and attracts mankind, but it's the most shallow water, right? But it's the deep water that you know that doesn't attract people, but that's where the truth is, right? Uh, another thing that I've talked about in the past is that uh, think of it like a, a good business model, right? Like you're the, the the if you can think about spreading the truth, the mysteries, uh, getting people on the path as a business model, all right? So any good business, let's say you're a taco stand, you're, you know, you name it, right? I like a taco cart example. And, you know, you can that guac on there and the beans and the sour cream, right? Like a good taco. And you're, you're, you figure that 30, any business model, you figure 30% of the people hate you, 30% of the people like you, 30% of the people haven't made up their mind yet, all right? So as a business owner, your goal is to expend all your energy on the 30% of the customers who actually like your product, actually like what you have to offer. Most likely, you, are gonna, you, you will never have enough time and energy 
to fulfill those, like tap into those that 30%. If by some miraculous chance you actually are able to tap out that 30%, then you spend time on the people who aren't sure. You never, ever, ever waste your time, ever. It is wasted energy, wasted talent, ever on the 30% who don't like you, all right? And I recognize that with my YouTube channel. As my YouTube channel grows, it's the same business model. 30%, it works out the same way on YouTube, on social media. I talk to other YouTubers about this. 30% of those people actually are subscribing to you, actually don't like you. And sometimes they actually will hate watch, you know, they'll follow you just to hate watch. Uh, that that's actually a, a, a very common thing just don't waste your time just focus on those who are who actually want to hear more of what you are you know offering them and that's one of my hopes with uh, my goals with the unexpected cosmology is as we talk about all these different things about you know how strange our realm is that we're actually trying to you know lead in the direction of truth and get on that narrow path do not um okay uh let's see Okay, here, let's continue on. Some men will come to you declaring that they have been converted to your cause, but the words they utter have no more substance than the breath upon which the word, words rise. Their speech does not reflect the image in their hearts, and their hypocrisy places them among the damned. That is, uh, I have experienced more of that in the Torah movement than probably anything else. I mean, I, I've said this so many times, like when you come to the truth of Yahuwah's, Yahuwah's instructions and in righteous living, it's dangerous ground. Like this is where he does some, uh, you know, some uh, trimming. And I see, I have seen in my journey, this walk, I have seen more people come to this because um, it's trending online. You know, they're on the quest for truth and this is like the truth, right? And they want to, a lot of them want to stick it to the man and to their pastors and their churches and show how wrong they are and how right they are. And you see a lot of pride and all these kind of things. And man, the falling away is just consistent. I have never seen so many people fall away. I mean, they were, they were all hypocrites, every one of them. They all spoke outwardly that this is the truth, but inside wasn't on their heart. They actually didn't really, in the end, they actually didn't like it. They actually like, I don't like any of this. And they just, they fall away. So, and when they fall away, it's not like they always fall back to like some sort of New Testament Christian thinking. A lot of times when they fall away, it's like they walk away from the whole Bible. All right. So this is one of the reasons why giving sometimes people the truth and they're not ready for it, it can, it can almost do more damage. It can damn them. This is why it's a mystery of heaven, right? It's something you guard. All right. Um, others will come prepared to accept what you say in part only and to serve with reservations. If good comes out of what they do, they consider the effort sufficient. But if they find that going hard, they will fall away. I've seen this again and again and again, guys. You guys have too, I'm sure. Those are weak characters who can derive little benefit from your teachings until they first change themselves. Boom. The first duty of the good religion is not to preach the divine, but to teach men to change themselves. Its first aim is to develop a better being. And this is why I have stated time and again that the Torah is a transformative document. It's intended to be. If it is not a transformative document, then you're reading it the wrong way. If you're not, if, if it's not gnosis, it's not something that you can internalize 
then you're reading it the wrong way. And this is why when people come here to stick it to the man and, you know, all these things and just get in arguments about how you're not supposed to eat pork and, you know, what day the Sabbath is and stuff. The question you need to be asking is, are they, are, are you, you, everybody listening, and I say this to myself, are you being changed? All right. That is, that is the point, right? Of the spirit of prophecy, of getting people on the right path, the path of repentance, of morality. This isn't about, you know, going up against the man. It's about your journey. Um, do not ever tell others the way to live and how to govern their lives until after you have put your teachings into practice. Preach, <laughs> preach it. First, practice what you teach, or for the saying, practice what you preach. And then, and then you can instruct others from your experience. The hypocritical teacher betrays his cause. And this is, you know... It's why elderly people, it's why we should actually, you know, look to elderly people. And I, I personally, you know, I, I'm like a in my going on my mid 40s. Okay. So some of you listening go, oh, you're young. You're, you're a young man. Well, I mean, to society, I'm not that young anymore, right? I'm, I'm middle aged. But the thing is, is that I don't have younger people really following. It's a lot of people kind of my age or older. And you know, that's the, that's the thing about when you get older, right? You have the experience, you have that gnosis, you have that, you can, you know, whereas when you're younger, you just have definitions. And when you argue with a young person, it's it's almost always about definitions. It's not about their experience. It's, it's not about, you know, what they have internalized, right? And this is, again, why it is so important to learn from the elderly and not the young. Not that we're shunning the young people and saying that they don't have anything to teach us, but they're the ones that should be learning. They're not, they shouldn't be the ones just preaching definitions. Um, though you may preach to an audience of all comers, choose your disciples carefully. Do not waste time on fools or simpletons or on those unwilling to take the road towards spirituality. Always explain in such a manner that your words cannot be misconstrued. Um, sometimes, you know, when I say things, I'll be like, hear me out, you know, like just hear me to the end, right? Because sometimes, you know, it's it's really easy for people to hear these keywords that trigger these emotions or some other conversation they had or something else, right? That you're not actually saying that. Uh, do not always expect people to ask for further explanation if they do not understand for their misinterpret for their misinterpretation may satisfy them or they may be reluctant to speak up. And that's really interesting there that uh, it's true that, I mean, I've experienced this myself, that a lot of people take their greatest pleasure in misconstruing what you have to say. They're totally you know, arrogant in a lot of things. They don't get it. They think they know and they, they, they don't understand. And so it is really important to just speak from your experience and just lay it out there as simply as possible. Uh, until someone is willing, you know, ready to go into, you know, deeper things. Sometimes a preaching prophet may upbraid his hearers with anger because his heart is stirred up within him. And some may be resentful because of, you know, how a prophet has spoken. They will overlook all his good qualities and search out his faults. <laughs> this, is, this is like... Like getting at the like the, the core of human nature. I mean, this is so true. 
And of course, this was true with Yehusha HaMashiach, right? I mean, they, they hated what he said. And they tried so hard to find faults with him. Perhaps they will say, this man preaches forbearance and self-control while railing against us with hostility and anger. Therefore, before attempting to preach, strengthen your character so that if you must upbraid, upbraid people for their ways, you do so with affection and restraint. Do not argue hot-headedly or enter into dispute with your hearers, but talk to them in a kindly, reserved manner. Bear in mind that whatever their belief, it will contain a large amount of good with which you have no dispute or issue. It is the bad which taints and contaminates the good that has to be sought out and destroyed. Now, I was talking about this earlier. I've said this a few times over the last few weeks that despite what we see in the media, despite what you've heard from the pulpit, all the fear porn you have uh, got in your lifetime, when we're talking about something like, say, a different religion, like, say, Muslims, right, Islam, when you go to the Middle East, fact of the matter is they are some of the most morally upright individuals. I know we see, like, all the, you know, the terrorists in the news and all that kind of stuff. These people, you go over there, they look at America and they think we are the most immoral, you know, Western civilization. I mean, they see the, the horrible things that's going on here and they see America as a great empire, right? And the point here is, and Yehusha HaMashiach says the same thing in the books of the Nazarene, that he says that that no, no person is fully evil or fully good. That even a wicked person has good and a good person has evil, right? And so... What they're saying here is that when you're going and talking to people who think differently than you, seek out the good and common the commonality between you, right? So instead of just shouting across the aisle like Christians and Muslims are just shouting, you know, oh, you're so wrong. You're so like, what if we actually sat down and just were like, like, wow, like you know, look, look at all these, you know, these moral things that you do in your society and how you know how you you know treat the, the family unit and all these, you know, just and focus on these things and then try to find commonality and go like, that's, that's really good. And then, and then, you know, you focus on, all right, this is our disagreements right here. Right. And I think that we'll find in many of these cases, uh, when we're not just having shouting matches, uh, we're, we're going to get along a lot better. And it's obviously our controllers who want to create that divide and that, you know, that division between us because they need the wars. They need, they need that. So, so desperately. Do not argue hot-headedly or enter dispute with your hearers. Uh, let's see. Did I just? Oh, yeah. Okay. We just read that. Okay. Do not enter into discussion or argument with anyone well instructed in another doctrine, <laughs> unless you are equally well instructed in yours and equally well informed on theirs. In disputes and discussions, the ill-informed man is knocked over with a straw. In the arena of arguments, the man without knowledge attacks with a reed. The, the problem, of course, is that the hot-headed, proud individual doesn't understand. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like when you watch these debates, it's almost like whoever you want, whoever side you want to win, you know, it's like usually that person always wins in that person's eyes. This is one of the reasons I can't stand these kind of debates. Um, it's not really about like, I, I don't know. It's all perception is what I'm saying. The man who attacks with the reed doesn't realize he has a reed. Other doctrines, other doctrines have their books, and the best book is the one which benefits the most. I want to really want to focus on this point here. In one book, truth may be described in one way, 
And in another book, it may be described differently. I've just upset like a lot of Protestants right here. But this need not mean that one is right and the other is wrong. Uh-oh. Truth never goes unveiled, but the wise man seeks her where she's veiled the least. Okay. You guys know that I love extra-biblical books. I love not just Enoch and Jasher and uh, – yeah, I have a fondness for Julie's, but I don't love that book. But, you know, it, many, many other books I, I talk about. There, there's really probably hundreds of books, this being one of them. I wouldn't call this extra-biblical, but it is a, a – you know, a, a spiritual book that uh, that has connections with some biblical characters. Now, what it's saying here is that there is going, you're going to read one book and there's going to be truth in it. And then you read another book and you're going to see things that don't connect, right? And this happens a lot with extra biblical books. Now, I hear from the canon people, the canon people who are just, they have their 66 books. Technically, when you think about it, the Bible actually is 70 books because Psalm it's actually five books, not one. People won't think about that. So really, it should be 70 books. But uh, when you, you you hear from the canon people, they'll say, if if there is one thing, just one thing in that book that disagrees with canon, then I'm tossing the whole book out, right? And it's like, well, okay. I mean, that's kind of sad that you're not willing to – because I have actually found that the, the more you wrestle with something, um, the more you find that it's not – like you actually, I actually learn more, right? I actually learn more by wrestling with things that don't connect. But there are things in scripture. I'm sorry. I mean, there are some things in scripture. It's like, mm, nope. That, that, especially when you get like, you know, a few things like, I won't go into all of them. But, um, and so what they're basically saying here, remember now, they're talking about a prophet, a prophet who is writing a book and they're hearing from beyond the veil. They're hearing Alahayam speak to them. And they may get some things wrong in the in the translation, right? That, that's that's but that's like an unthinkable thought for some people. But they're basically saying, look, it's it, it's okay if there's something wrong. We're gonna take what makes the most sense, and we're gonna say, well, this is the truth. All right. Truth never goes unveiled, but the wise man seeks her where she is veiled the least. So what makes the most sense to you? I, I talked to you about this earlier tonight. You're going down a, you're going down the path. How do you determine if you're on the right path or the wrong path? Well, what is what they would say here, what is the least veiled, right? What what expands my vision? What you know crystallizes everything, puts it in focus, you know, and makes everything connect better, right? That's how I know I'm on the right path. And when I'm on the wrong path, it's there's least there's more and more things veiled, right? It gets darker and and dimmer. That's when I know to turn around. The outward vestments of a religion are unimportant, for gaudy ones may hide a festering body, while unimposing garments may clothe a healthy one. Disregard the bottle and give your attention to its contents. A misshapen bottle may hold matured wine while the will-shaped bottle may contain wine newly pressed. If your calling is to preach, then declare to others all the words you believe to be true concerning the divine and the latent divinity in men. Pay no heed to those who would discourage you and follow the footsteps of truth unflinchingly. That, that, that's the hard part because there's, when you're, well, let me finish this. The least enlightened are those who close their ears to the voice of wisdom. All right. And that's a really good perspective to have. It's, I mean, just today before I went live, 
I've learned not to go through like my online comments. I mean, there are people, there were just people on there just belittling me today. And like, I, they were trying, these comments were kind of coming in right before Sabbath. It was kind of interesting. They were trying to discourage me. Right. And it's hard because when you're out there trying to, and I'm not preaching to you guys, I'm just like reading these books, right? I'm showing you these, these amazing finds and uh, hoping to encourage you with them. Uh, but uh, you see people out there who it says pay no heed to those who discourage you. And sometimes the voice of discouragement is far more than the, the voice of those who are, who are encouraging you. And I like how it ends here. Just you recognize that the least enlightened are those who close their ears to the voice of wisdom. If you have been granted the gift of speech so that your opponents are routed under a hail of words, do not proclaim a victory. A man is not converted because he is silenced. All right. And that this is another reason I, I can't stand debates. Because it, it's like like I said, a, a, whoever wins a debate that doesn't determine truth. It, it's like a chess game. It, it, like Hasatan can win a chess game, right? Like it, it's whoever puts the other person in checkmate. It does not determine the truth. And it's the same thing here. Just because you're really good at um oration at, at, at speaking or, or routing people into a corner it doesn't mean that that's the truth right so don't proclaim a victory in that the advocate who presents the best argument may not have the best case and he who speaks the right words may not be on the right side that like this is called the book of wisdom guys like that is wisdom right there all right. Remember that the next time you see two people debating online or the next time you decide to engage with someone or a troll or anybody, or if you are a being a troll, like just remember that. Though my viewers are obviously not trolls. I love you guys. Though you cannot reveal the divine design, you can point out the order in the divine dominion. All about, um, and I think that they're talking about the earth itself here, that nature itself speaks of uh, the, the Allah Hayam, you know, the divine. Like he created, he created a world that is not in conflict with who he is. And that that's a completely a, a flip of a worldview than I was raised with, where, you know, the world was, nature itself was bad. And it's like, no, actually, like, the four seasons and all the, the 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 different weather and the 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 harvest and the the the, the seeding and all the different things that happen it's all a, it was all designed by uh Allah Hayam, the most high uh as part of who he is and and testing us and trying us and conforming us and you know pulling us through the ringer to to uh to lead us on the path of righteousness if we choose that right i mean you could choose the path of wickedness the curse or you could choose the blessing and that of course is the narrow road but nature itself is a part of that that plan all about the signs are manifested in the order and possession of the stars and the succession of the seasons so i guess i was getting ahead of the text there but they said the same thing in the abounding beauty and bounty of nature and in the laws that govern growth and decay. When the call to the cause is sounded in the dawn light of the day of truth, preaching prophets will fare forth as harbingers. 
If it falls to your lot to be numbered among them, then consider yourself honored among humanity. Summon others to tread the way of truth with you, but do so in simple words and with enlightened argument and wisdom. Do not enter into time-wasting disputes. This is that business model I told you about, the 30-30-30. But use gentle persuasion and kindly guidance to put the feet of your followers upon the right road. And there it is right there, the spirit of prophecy. Putting the feet of people on the right path. That's what it's all about. Those that this is again, and this is how you determine a, a true prophet for, versus a false prophet. If you are leading people to Yahuwah's instruction, uh, instructions in righteous living, in holiness, then that is the spirit of prophecy. Uh, if you are telling people to not be obedient to that, that it was done away with, and that we don't have to listen to that anymore, that is leading people on the wrong path. It is the sign of the false prophet. Those who answer the call to the cause cannot expect to escape the conflict unscathed. If you are among those who suffer, do not take reprisals, but only such steps as will prevent a repetition. So what they're saying here is, look, learn from your mistakes. Like, you don't have to have a martyrdom complex, okay? You don't have to be crucified everywhere you go, all right? You know, some people, they show up in different communities. Every community receives these individuals who they just everyone is trying to crucify them. It's like, really, you know, but it's like, look, if, if you're keep ending up in these scenarios, then you're doing something wrong, right? And it, it, it's the definition, definition of insanity to do the same thing repeatedly and expect different results. At some point you have to go, what can I do differently to not receive, you know, this beating, unless if I really am a glutton for punishment. Display your strength of character in patient endurance and cheerfulness, but you are not expected to be meekly submissive. Endure whatever trials come your way with patience and fortitude, for they serve you well. Do not be unduly disturbed if you are not believed or troubled because so many betray their own nature and destiny. You can do no more than warn them and call upon them to fulfill their duty and obligations. Really? So again, let me just finish this. Do not let your heart be troubled by their uh, subtleties of arguments. And bear in mind that deluded men always believe in the reality of their delusions. That's so good. But what this is saying here is that it is not your responsibility to change other people. Right? And this is where you see people, they show up in communities and, 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 like, and they just have this grudge on their shoulder and this attitude and you need to repent and you know you don't believe what i do and it's just like these usually like these silly things um and that's not your anybody's responsibility to change anybody else it is your responsibility to change yourself and again teach people with experience uh calmly uh, slowly with patience and endurance and teach those who are willing to listen to you and learn all right and you know, to nudge them in the right direction, plant seeds, recognizing that maybe 10, 20 years down the road, they might go, aha, it might click, all right? Maybe you'll never get the credit for it. That's okay. They might not even remember that you were, you know, it's it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like, like, I'll throw out like chemtrails, right? It, it's now like geoengineering, right? And everybody basically, they're like, yeah, that's a reality. But 
remember all those years where we were trying to warn people about these chemtrails and like, no, that's not real. And then they read it in the news, geoengineering. They're like, oh, okay. But you don't get the credit for that, right? It's like the, the conspiracy theorists never get the credit. You know, it, it, it's, 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 this isn't like, an I, I told you thing. It's, it's about warning people, right? All right. Concentrate on teaching the young, for this is like engraving words on metal. And this is what I told you earlier, like it, the young don't want to be taught. I mean, I, I have very few young people come my way. It, I can't, I, I wish more could. While teaching the age is like writing words on the seashore sands. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like you can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? But instruction should be given by the aged. For he who looks for wisdom in the young is like a man who eats unripe fruit from the vine or drinks unmillowed wine from the cask. Is this not like, like an amen book or what? The good religion will not concern itself with money-making for profit. Though if it is made to serve a good end, there is no harm. With money-making and profit, it is the objective that counts. Those who preach the good religion will take no money for themselves in such a way that people might come to regard it as no more than another means of livelihood. Uh, the praiseworthy teacher will earn his livelihood through his skill or labor. Remember when they were talking earlier that like there's like cheap currency, right? Because there's so many false prophets out there. And and so when you know when religion becomes that, when it becomes a business, um, then you know it it the, the message itself becomes common it becomes diluted there i was thinking about the um one of the things believe it or not that came to my mind was the fourth matrix movie uh, the matrix resurrections which you know it came like 20 years too late nobody really liked the movie um but you know people were kind of over like the special effects were like yeah so we saw that 20 years ago uh, there was nothing cutting about it uh, cutting edge but the 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 storyline itself was actually uh i i thought the better than the second and the third one and one of the things that was really brilliant in the movie is that neo he's living this new life he has no idea of his past existence and he's actually now the architect he creates the matrix he creates the whole storyline of the first trilogy and he sells it in this like this this worldwide best-selling video game that's the whole idea of what the elite do. They take the truth, our controllers, and they make it common. They make it so common that it's, you know, it's diluted. And that, that, that was the whole point. Of it. it was actually really brilliant. Um, and uh, this is what we, this is why we need to guard the mysteries. And we need to make sure that we are only handing, that we're not just, you know, making, selling them like Big Macs, right? You know, 20 billion served or whatever. Um, however, if a man devotes himself to furthering the cause and sacrifices opportunities in other directions, he shall not be denied a fair return for his services. A man who dedicates himself wholly to the service of a cause can rightly expect that cause to supply him with the necessities of life. Uh, there, there is, uh, I, I think of the Didache, uh, which is an interesting, uh, it, uh, it was supposedly written by the 12, perhaps in Yerushalayim, a part of a council where they were writing these instructions. And they talk about this with prophets and stuff, how uh, when, when a prophet comes through, 
you know, that they're not to overstay their welcome. They say one or two days and they move on. Like if anyone is leeching off of you, get rid of them. All right. That being said, that someone is worth their labor. Someone who does not work should not be fed. I mean, that says that in the didache. If they're not willing to work, they don't deserve food. Um, but in the same way, like um, you, you read like this tax and others that, you know, people who um, uh, who um, are uh, delivering the message of, you know, are in religion, that if they are working, you know, to bring people to the truth that they, you know, should be taken care of. This is kind of like the Levites, right? Where they had no land inheritance, but the people in different cities and stuff were intended to make sure they were taken care of, make sure they have a house and so on and so forth. I'm starting to like sweat in here. I turn off the air conditioner so you didn't hear the hum behind me. All right. The preacher dedicated to service must not be too uh, fastidious. For to give battle to the muck wailowers, the muck heap must be entered. Neither must he be intolerant with those who hold to the most outlandish beliefs. For each man's belief seems right in his own eyes. The harbingers of the good religion must be men of strong character and integrity. For a fortress cannot be built on shaky foundations. I mean, Yahushua Mashiach talks about this, right? Foundations of sand versus foundations of the rock. Or stout walls erected over a bog, right? You know, build in a swamp. The preacher who is truly dedicated to a divinity of love and goodness becomes himself a manifestation of those qualities. Man is not expected to achieve perfection here on earth, but only to seek it. What is expected of him is a sincere and honest effort without any hypocritical or deceptive reservations. The divine design requires that man make a conscious choice of right under a, the constant pressure of temptation to, to do otherwise. This also leaves man free to choose wrong. And of course, you know, that's the thing about this life. That the I've said this so many times, the moment you enter this life as a, as a baby, you are just lied to and lied to and led down wrong paths. And it, it, Truth doesn't just fall in our lap. The way it's designed is, you know, that that's one of the problems with corporate church, right? Like, you know that you're not being fed the truth. There's something wrong with it when it's just being handed out like Big Macs, like a franchise. And truth is something that you have to seek out. And those who seek out the truth are treated like the crazy ones from the normies. Um, but, um, you know, uh, but the divine design is a sister. It's a conscious choice of, you know, against a constant pressure to do otherwise. And it's the whole life is like this. Just everything is pushing us. It's like you have to be like, you know, fish jumping upstream against the current to, to get to the truth. That's the way this life is designed. Man chooses wrong instead of right for just two reasons. Either it is the easy path of least resistance. Agreed. Or it is the most alluring, also agreed. Consequently, the good religion must first concern itself with establishing strength of character and moral backbone. For these form the only foundation upon which the, the palace of spirituality can be erected. So this here is separating like, and I've again, I've said this so many times before, that people confuse truth uh, with, with just like these ideas 
and not morality. To have the truth it has to have a backbone of morality. And if if we are not overcoming this ourselves, then we have no right to tell other people, you know, how they are to live their lives. This is why we first have to master this. And then by example, we show it and we make it appetizing to the others. We actually, you know, that's how we lead them down the narrow path. And other people are like, wow. I mean, like it says here, they, they, they can choose the easy path or the more alluring path. Those are the, uh, the, the path of moral wrong, or they could look at, you know, the beautiful fruit that you are producing and go, I want that. That's the tough journey, but that's what I want. Long, long ages ago, man took the wrong path and was led astray still further by guide, by guides with insufficient knowledge of the way. They knew the general direction, but their maps were faulty. Now man is lost in the swamps of spiritual barrenness and the marshes of moral decay. His vision cannot penetrate the thick mist of mortal and material illusion, which have closed in upon him. He has lost all confidence in his guides and feels betrayed, abandoned, and lonely. Really interesting um, picture they give here because now England, or Britain, where this is being written, back in the day was a land with many thick woods and marshes and swamps. And the Britain we have today has been all uh, designed, like all the hills and stuff. It's all been filled in. Um, but so they had this idea that uh, when you read a lot of this literature, it was in these swamps and bogs where like the evil spirits lived as well, which is not far from Hebrew thinking about the wilderness. And so it, it's interesting that the idea of society is that it, it, it it's almost like the this matrix we live in that it doesn't have to be as um as blinding as it is like it wasn't actually necessarily designed that way it was a potential route but it's what humanity naturally went to our controllers led us into these swamps and bogs and it's saying that you know this this thick mist around us they think that's normal they think that that's the way everything is when you're trying to show them like no 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 like there's you can penetrate beyond that and the truth you can see it like we need to climb out of this swamp we need to climb out of this bog and you can see it but you know it like again they're the they think you're the crazy ones for you know going to dry land right the lost wayfarer must must be revived with the drought with of moral courage he must be strengthened and revitalized with the belief which gives him spiritual backbone the spiritual backbone would you know, be a, a, not just a enlightenment, but morality, moral backbone. The religions which pander to the weak characters, to the meek and servile, the ignorant and unthinking, must be discarded. Man must be given what he needs, not what he deserves. He must be taught the meaning and purpose of life so that he no longer wastes it. He must know that, of course, what is the meaning and purpose of life? It is a test it's a preparation for you know reclaiming our status as sons of elohim and how much of our life is wasted in distraction right looking in every place that we're not supposed to be looking in he must know that whatever befalls him on earth is either decreed or the result of his own actions <laughs> that's really good 
it's either it's either or you need we need to recognize okay what is beyond my control that this is decreed from Allah Hayyan this comes from him because there are no coincidences or did I do this myself is this my fault right the the the, the self the, the martyrdom complex is not you know they're not going to uh, probably realize either one of them definitely not that it's their own actions that it may be utilized to his benefit elsewhere now as always man is taught to seek inspiration outside himself in the lights of the new dawn he must be taught to seek his inspiration from the divinity within himself and again it's this is where they constantly say like if you if you're trying to find yourself by going to some foreign land you're looking in the wrong place that wherever you happen to be if you need to find, you know, the Holy Grail, right? The quest for the Grail is the divine within. And it's understanding again and again that we are trying to reclaim our status as the sons of Elohim. That's that's very biblical. This is not the hour of dawning, for it lies still distant. And therefore, these words are no more than an arrow shot in the direction of the rising sun. He who writes them now will never put them into effect. For a child born prematurely has little chance of survival. A ship is not launched on the floodwaters, and a harvest is reaped only when the seed is sown in its proper season. Do not be downhearted if the results of your preaching cannot be seen, for be assured that if good is sown well, it will surely take root. That's what I mentioned earlier. Like it may, you know, if we're if we're giving people our experience and showing them by experience. Um, and pointing them in the right direction. Don't be discouraged that, you know, you don't know where the seeds are going to fall. They may they may take root, and it may take 10, 20, you may never see it. I mean, there's probably people in my lives that spoken to my lives, I know for a fact, like 10, 20, 30 years ago, that, you know, it finally kind of caught up to me. And it, 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 it never really left me. And they didn't see the change in me, but I changed. When your hearers are men of intelligence, speak to them profoundly. But if they are men who toil, men not gifted with intellect or well endowed with words, instruct them by parable and with tales drawn from their own background and turn to account. So you can custom the message to the audience. There's no shame in that. When the divine intends to call a man to high service, that man is certain to be the first disciplined by suffering. Remember that. And a lot of people fall by the wayside in suffering because they didn't expect it. So if you're called, this is what I said, like if you're coming into the Torah, if you're seeking to be holy by these set-apart uh, righteous uh, commands, by being obedient, expect to suffer. And the suffering, of course, is uh, Allah Hayam's way of you know chiseling the portrait, the, the, the statue out of the rock, right? It, it's painful but the suffering produces beauty and joy he may be tested by bodily labor by hunger and uh, privation or he may be tried in the fires of trouble and distress his every undertaking may be confounded and every effort frustrated by such means his character will be strengthened and his resolution intensified his understanding and compassion will be increased men have to make mistakes to learn that the word there is lean, but it should be learned. And reformation of character often commences under duress. 
Yet it does not follow that all derive benefit from the test of life. For many weak characters succumb before them, and then their weakness swallows them up. So again, that's that's a you know a sign of the people that fall away. Just you know, it, you kind of have to have pity on them and go, you know, in their mind they're justified for falling away, but it's it's a weakness of character. The benefit comes to those who realize benefit is to be gained and who look for it, or to those who unconscious or benefit, uh, unconscious of benefit, still rise above the trials. Nothing is wrong with the spiritual realm, and nothing is wrong with the world except through man's own actions. What is wrong and must be remade is man himself. So again, you can't blame religion, can't blame the spiritual realm, can't blame nature or the world around us. And uh, it's, you know, you're the problem or I'm the problem, right? What is wrong and must be remade is man himself. The good religion must therefore teach man to be happy and contented with himself and to rise above his environment. Too many lack this ability and are happy only when circumstances and surroundings, surroundings are favorable, but they soon become depressed and sad when things go against them or not to their liking. Despondency and worry arise when a person's thoughts are completely self-centered and harmful desires arise when they seek selfish gratification. To seek the things and circumstances that please and to shun those that do not is taking the slippery path leading to the pit of sorrow. The road to degeneracy is wide, smooth, and downhill all the way. To sum this up, I've said this a hundred times already, that it really concerns me when people come to me and tell me how they hate their life. They just want out of this world. They think that it's all going to be fixed when they get to heaven and that it's somehow going to be better. And they're, they're, they're not happy. They're, they're not joyful on this journey. Meaning that if you don't find pleasure in being moral and doing the right thing in transforming your life towards holiness in following the narrow path, then why do you think it's going to be any different in heaven? Why do you think there's going to be any less sorrow? I'm serious about this. You know, I know we hear like there's no more tears, right? But, uh, you know, joy itself comes through sorrow. And if we are not, um, if, if this journey does not please us, doing the right thing, right? Following the moral code, then what do you think you're going to be doing in heaven? You're not going to be following the moral code? Like, again, you think you're going to be some robot and just be wound up and just do it? No, you're still going to have a free will. And so this is why it's so this is why I get really concerned with people who are just fed up with everything. It's like, no, you you have to find the joy in the sorrow and suffering now. You have, you know, you're not gonna make it if you don't. You're gonna fall away. Men must learn that while they traverse the arid desert of materialism, this is the arid desert of materialism. They must expect to suffer the thirst pangs of unquenchable desires and unsatisfied urges. Because, you know, materialism will never ultimately please, right? That's the great deception, the great lie. If you just have that house or that car, or that new furniture, or you, you know, you name it, right? You're going to be happy. You know, the new kitchen or whatever. Their feet will always drag heavily through the sands of sorrow and suffering. Only when they come to the cool waters of spirituality can they rest, refreshed and satisfied. The dust storms of passion, the mirages of deception and illusion, and the dark cloud of mortal ignorance 
must be penetrated in order to glimpse the light of divinity beyond. It's it's that bog scenario, right? The people in the fog, they can't see past it. It's it's like a it's like a matrix of their own design. That it, it doesn't have to be that way in this realm, even though even though the mortal realm is a type of illusion, right? It's not the the greater truth. For some, it's clearer than others. The phantoms of sense uh, fallacies must be recognized for what they are, unimportant things without substance. Things come into being because they are needed and necessary, and when the good religion opens its arms to men, it will be for this reason. Until then, it is not harmful for them to worship the awe-inspiring symbols and indulge in the spirit-stirring uh, litanies conceived by the many existing religions. They do serve by assisting the spirit to purge itself of grosser attractions and to elevate the soul. They're talking about practices of worship. Uh, if they're, you know, intended to, um, you know, reach to those heights of, of spirituality, right? Get us closer to the divine. In such elementary forms of worship, the object of homage does not matter for each worshiper forms an image in his own mind of what lies behind it according to his own state of development. In this manner, the way is prepared for the coming of the light. No activity of man is so wrapped in ignorance, so inept and harmful as religious intolerance or prejudice in favor of one outward form of worship as against another. All who worship are seeking the same destination and each takes the road he thinks most suitable. Men are led by phantoms to fight for dimly revealed causes and end up consumed in fiery pits of hatred. Why have they chosen one side rather than the other? Only because the particular religion they support is an accident of birth and upbringing. Man weaves his sorrows from the very materials given for his adornment and glorification. You know, this talking here about the reason why there is so much biting hatred between denominations, between religions, other things like that, is most of the time, it's as it says here, an accident of birth and upbringing. They were born into this. They think it, it's, you know, and this is one of the things that we said earlier in the Torah portion when Rivka left her family in Babylon to go to Canaan, uh, to Yitzhak. Uh, I quoted from Yahushua Hamashiach. He says, he who um, uh, loves his mother or father more than me is not worthy of me, right? The way truth is designed is that it's not going to fall into your lap at birth. It's probably not how you're going to be raised. I think all of us can probably agree on that uh, and that you have to literally leave. You have to love the truth. You have to love uh, Allah Hayam, Yahuwaha, more than your upbringing, more than your birth, more than your mother and father, more than your denomination, all those bullet points, you know, the fear of letting them down or what, how they'll think about you. You know, you have to be able to leave that. And, you know, instead of getting into this, you know, Protestant versus Catholic or whatever, you know, mentality. Or, you know, Methodist versus Baptist or whatever. Man weaves his sorrows from the very materials given for his adornment and glorification. Let's see. Oh, one more, and then we're done with this chapter. Now, I need to really get through this because the next chapter is even longer. The answers given by all true religions are inspired by the desire to meet particular needs. The needs differ according to time and place and the condition and development of men. But all true religions have this in common. They come in response to something upsurging in the nature of man when the rites of a religion are performed without thought and its ceremonial becomes meaningless 
then that religion is ready to die. All right. This next chapter, uh, this is, a, I think, a really long one. So I'm going to try to do less commentary, more reading, and I want to finish this tonight. This is not a recipe for salvation. Nor uh, This is called uh, Chapter 22, The Good Religion. So I think they're going to sum up this whole book. This is not a recipe for salvation nor a formula for blind belief. It is not a matter of doctrine alone, and dogmatic belief must not be rigidly imposed. And my, my, I mean, guys, if you have been following me through the years, I, I, I one thing that is, is like gnosis is I've explained this before that um, coming to such knowledge that you realize, like, there's a tipping point where you realize all this you've accumulated is like nothing. Like, you realize how much you actually don't know. Like, how much you've accumulated is nothing compared to how much knowledge and wisdom there is to acquire out there you know when i was 18 years old and a college student and i was a philosophy major and i never i always have to stress for anyone who doesn't know i did not graduate from college i'm so glad i didn't too in hindsight um but i was a philosophy major and i used to love quotes by like plato who would quote from socrates and you know i'd go around saying you know um uh, i know nothing you know and i'd say that it was just like a it was a young man speaking some definition that I had never internalized. It was I hadn't had that gnosis yet, right? Um, and but you know now nowadays as I'm I'm learning more and more and more, I'm, I'm less rigid in some of my thinking, um, and uh, you know I'm learning that um, you know these mysteries of heaven that that they've been distributed. You know, mankind himself is made in the image of Allah Hayam, and that there there are things to be learned from all people and i'm i'm not i'm not you know preaching universalism here by any means you know i i believe that i i, I want to be in a covenant with yahuwah and he has given his law that's really important to me but i've learned that uh that even even within a lot of the so-called doctrines that you know come out that within the bible i've learned not to be rigid with them i've just learned time and again how wrong i've been the good religion is not so much a belief or doctrine as a way of living. It's fruit, good fruit, right? This is where you get into the prophets, right? A, a false prophet, no, I'm sorry, a true prophet can get things wrong, doctrinally speaking. Maybe he believes in the Trinity. I don't believe in the Trinity. I don't know who's right or wrong, right? The truth is beyond my opinion or his opinion. It's not whether or not you believe there's a Trinity, whether you're a true prophet or a false prophet, or whether you believe revelation has been fulfilled yet or hasn't been fulfilled yet it's the fruit you can't say this state this enough it's about getting people on that narrow path that is the spirit of prophecy of a true prophecy it is the way of life of a company of kindred spirits headed for the same destination and all sharing the same adventure with its hazards and excitement all seeking the best road together that's a beautiful story it is not a religion of gloom and despair. It does not seek to pl uh, placate or coerce any being, for it serves a divinity above such things. It is not a religion re reveling in servility and meekness. Instead, it seeks to reveal the greatness of man. It is a religion of joy and hope, of high ideals and aspirations. It adheres to the highest principles of truth, justice, and goodness. 
It aspires to the greatest good of, for all mankind and believes in the sanctity of life, love, and family. It halos hearth and home. And of course, you know, they're really big on family is, you know, the, in this in this truth seeking experience even though you know we need to love the truth of Abahayam and Yahuwah more than our family family itself is all a part of the divine plan very very important it is a practical religion teaching the doctrine of evolving betterment it establishes a standard for men to live by which will make them better men and permit them to live in peace and harmony with others it values the qualities of courage, audacity, fortitude, and steadfastness. It upholds the virtues of modesty, patience, purity, and gentleness. It is not a religion of undue restraint or narrow dogma. And it does not believe in the futile mortification of the body. It takes full regard of man as a twofold being and talking about duality there and maintains the dignity of the mortal as well as the spiritual body. There's that duality, right? The dignity of the moral and the spiritual both uh like the moral affects the spiritual the spiritual affects the moral the two separate but unified it makes no empty promises of salvation or redemption and is not founded upon a system of indulgences rewards or promises so basically you seek the truth for the sake of the truth it expounds the principles of personal responsibility obligation and effort Oh, well, give you an example on seeking the truth for the sake of the truth. You know, one of the things that uh, I've seen, like in in Christianity, uh, modern evangelical Christianity, is that they all have this idea that they're uh, all uh, like there, there's like a song out there. I remember like uh, talking about how Abraham was a friend of God of Elohim, and so they say we're all like a friend of God. And I, I remember I started questioning like in my last days in the Christianity in the church, and I'd be like, wait, are you saying you're a friend to God like Abraham was and like yes yes that we all are I'm like how can you say that yeah and they would they would be like oh no we're we're all like that that's the story of the Bible we're all like you know on par this equality and it's like no no you're not and you know I started trying to talk to them about there's actually reward systems and they're like that, that was so foreign to them they're like what they just thought they could just live their lives and then just God would be okay with it you know um, and, um, so what I'm saying is that, that they have this, this idea that, you know, they were all going to get this great prize at the end and that's what they were in it for, but they, they weren't really interested in the truth. You see how that works? It's all kind of flipped in reverse. It takes full regard of man as a twofold. Okay. I read all that. Okay. Uh, it expounds the principles of personal responsibility, obligation, and effort. Its prime objectives are to carry out of the divine design and the service of mankind. It is a religion to be lived by and not just believed in. Hmm. <laughs> That's like, because I hope you guys know I'm not trashing Christianity. I'm really not. Like, but you know, the fact of the matter is, is that Christianity today has no like definitions. You can't define what it is anymore. It's it's in a moral crisis. And they're all about just belief. You just believe. That's all. It just you. It, and they tell you right here. It, it, it's a, no, you, you, it's something to be lived by. It is literally a journey, a narrow path. It's not just something you believe in. It demands to be expressed in deeds and not in words. So remember that next time you're in an argument, you're just expressing words. Where are the deeds? Excuse me. 
in beneficial action and not in blind conformity. It is more interested in bringing out the hidden good than in outward display and pomp. The good religion concerns itself with whatever is necessary for the unfolding of the spirit, and its aim is to spur man upwards to divinity. The purpose of a religion is to serve. Now, a lot of people, I, I've seen this so much. Like, there's religion is, guys, religion is not bad. Like, it really, I, I don't care how many people say this isn't a religion. Yes, it is a religion. It is. And it just says right here, it's to serve. Serve who? Well, serve the divine. Serve Allah Ha'am um, and, you know, serve mankind. It's love Allah love others. It cannot do this properly by concentrating on spiritual matters alone, for it also has the obligation of setting a moral standard. A worthwhile religion cannot permit itself to be shut out from everyday life. If it does so, it is undeserving of its status. And you, know, I, you guys know I love the example of the Karate Kid, right? Wax the, wax the, uh, or sand the floor, you know, wax on, wax off on the car, paint the house or the fence, right? It's, it's, you, you got to have the, um, there has to be a actual practical living out this spirituality. It's not just some gushy, good feeling kind of off in the prayer closet type of thing. It must concern itself with the way men live, with the conduct of their daily affairs, with their relationship with one another. Religion is man's response to his existence in earthly conditions and the answer to the challenge of his environment. Therefore, it is in religion that he finds the most satisfactory outlet for his feelings and the best way of expressing his inner yearning. The soundless, insistent voice of the divine calls out to man from the depths of his being and that which guides and directs him towards it is called religion. The divine is hidden from men. So just recognize if you don't like the word religion, it, it, it's like what we read earlier tonight with the prophets. You can't, it, it just because there's a lot of false religion or false prophets doesn't mean that it loses, you know, that true religion or true prophets lose their worth or their value, right? Just remember the, the more fraudulent uh, um, religion there is just goes to show that there is true religion because you're not going to create something that is false off something that is meaningless or without value. Always remember that. The divine is hidden from men and veiled behind the firmament. Mm. There's some nice uh, uh, ancient uh, cosmology knowledge there for us. And so it's the, the, um, we read in scripture how uh, Allah Hayam, it actually might say Yahuwah there, I'm not really sure, that he actually surrounds himself with darkness. And one of the ways he does that is, you know, Paul says that we look through a glass darkly. He's, he's talking about the firmament there. The, from above the firmament in heaven, you can look down, it's crystal clear. The, you see that like in Adam and Eve, Revelation, other books like that. But from down here, you look up and it's dark, right? That is Allah Hayam, uh, veiling himself above the firmament and this separation the feeling of being cut off is the source and basis of religion right it's not he doesn't he, this isn't this entitlement where he has to come down to us no we have to reach up to him the divine and man fire and spark now sundered apart crave to be united and this craving expresses itself as religion Man, the person, is like a lamb separated from its mother, the source of its life, and lost in the mountain mist. 
He is a lonely creature pulled and pushed around by urges and desires, dragged onward by the remorseless cords of time, heavily burdened with fragile mortality and always haunted by the accompanying phantoms of decay and change. His only encouragement is the light of divinity, just dimly glimpsed in the distance, and his only consolation and comfort is religion. But religion, too, often gives cold comfort and little encouragement. Therefore, the good religion must be a true comforter as well as a champion. It will teach man that there is a happy haven and worthwhile destination at the end of the road. It will show him that it is futile to try and run away from life and that its trials are inescapable. Life is given to man with intent and purpose, and he can achieve divinity only by first experiencing the realities of existence here and rising above them. And by the way, that's, um, I was just reading the other day that, you know, we, we, there's that famous line, I think, therefore I am. Uh, but the idea of consciousness, um, um, that the idea of consciousness cannot really truly be felt except through trials um, and in obstacles and, and actually rising above them. Kind of an interesting thought. The standards imposed upon those who follow the light of the good religion will be those already set out in the sacred books of times gone by, for wisdom is not a callow youth. Such standards should not weigh too heavily on men, as do some enforced under the cloak of ignorance. This is the religion of the light, and it accords with the natural tendencies of man. It declares every man to be heir of divinity and therefore capable of living a righteous and upward-tending life. So no man is without excuse, right? You're all made in the image of Allah Hayyam. Uh, you all have a decision to make for the blessing or the curse. Every man is without excuse. Uh, Paul would say that um, even those without the Torah, you know, they, they make a Torah unto themselves. Okay. The concept of righteousness held by the good religion is not one of external display, for it preaches that goodness is expressed in deeds and in a way of life, not in the holding of barren beliefs and purposeless ceremonial. It is like a mighty oak, always shedding leaves and replacing them in the proper seasons. Its roots keep spreading out into new ground, but its trunk is always strengthening and growing greater. The good religion believes that man is the instrument of the divine and his dep deputy on earth. The man is entrusted with certain responsibilities and duties, which he can shirk only to his cost. That the soul is immortal and the body mortal and that man can achieve divinity only through his own efforts. He can be saved by no one except himself. I know that that is just triggered like all of Christianity, Catholicism, Protestantism, uh, Orthodoxy probably out there. Well, probably not all of them, but, um, you know, the thing is, is that um, <laughs> you, my, I think my main audience knows this, that like every man has to choose the blessing or the curse. It, it, it's it's Yahushua HaMashiach came to show us the way, but it's not some magical formula of you just believe and you're saved. It, it doesn't necessarily work like that. And that's why a lot of people are going to be really surprised when they treated Jesus as their favorite sports team. You know, they're in the stands, you know, go team, go. And they're, you know, they're not striving down this path. You guys know what I mean. I think you guys know what they're saying here. 
it's it's the difference like in our Torah portion tonight of of Abraham he went out to Canaan he followed the call his family stayed behind well, they came a little bit and like Nahor and the others and they settled down they were still in Babylon the same thing happened when Abraham sent Eliezer uh, to find a wife for Yitzhak out to his family Rivka came out followed the call family stayed behind right they they didn't they didn't take the journey they received a lot of gifts from Eliezer, but they they didn't take the journey. There are those who prefer the worship of many lesser divinities, and those who divide their beliefs so so from one come many, and each is content with his portion and derives out of others. The many divinities are like mirages across the sands, which appear to offer cool waters, but no man ever found refreshment there. When darkness falls, the mirage disappears, and he who trod the sand towards it is lost that's an interesting uh, paragraph there men have to be organized in worship as in all things but this is not so much for their own good though this is often made though this is often made the excuse but to check man's inherent tendency towards irresponsibility and apathy while it is true that the less responsible and resolute men are the more they have to be wait are the more they have to be organized and controlled it is also true that the more they are organized and controlled, the less responsible and resolute they tend to become. In this, as in all things, a balance must be struck. Therefore, when a religion teaches that men should be responsible and resolute, it should not seek to organize and control them too much. However, it must also be remembered that without leadership, organization, and discipline, no battle was ever won. Hmm. I, I feel like we could, I could dissect that a lot more but i want to get through this i want to get through this tonight it's getting late and um i'm <laughs> i'm just looking at this here and i yeah I, we can do this i'm just gonna keep reading the good religion must do more than produce good men the popular religions within the confines of civilization already produce good men but they do not produce divinely inspired men or men who rise even above goodness the good religion will not accept the doctrine now preached that the man who suffers is one who has done wrong or offended some divinity. This is maybe the best way to describe this, like the caste system. Um, like the, the ideas of, you know, the people who are the most poor and, you know, that kind of stuff, like, you know, they, they deserve it type of thing. Instead, it will declare that the man who suffers is undergoing one of the inescapable tests of life and maybe one chosen for higher service. That's a total flip on that, right? And if you overcome these obstacles and these trials, you, you rise to the higher service because it's all a test, right? Now, if you're if you're weighted down by and handicapped by the trials, then you, you fail the test. However, it should acknowledge that this should not lead to suffering being accepted passively. Not only must suffering be struggled against, but every effort must be made by others to help the sufferer, right? Help them pass the trials, rise above. The trials and tests of life are not things to be endured with pass passive patience. They are challenges to be met and overcome. I guess I was jumping out of the, the, uh, the words there. The good religion must establish a tradition of service, which it can hand down from one generation to another. It must also establish base within a compatible body of people from which it can be propagated, not only by preaching and teaching, but also more important by example. To each of its followers, it must declare the message, whether a man does much or little is not as important. 
as to whether he always does his best and directs his actions towards the fulfillment of the divine design. A parable of Yahushua HaMashiach would be like he has different servants he gives different talents to. And it's not whether you have a lot of talents or little talents. It's what did you do with the talents that were given to you, right? Uh, you can have very few talents and hide them and say, well, you know, you were cruel. And, I, you know, it's like, well, it's like, well, I'm going to take your talents and give it to the person with the more talents who did something with it. The good religion exists even now, for it is the faith of the few who cherish the seed. It is, a lim it is limited to a small number who hand on the torch. And this must continue until the day already appointed. Meanwhile, mankind is not ill-served by its many religions, but the day comes when they will no longer serve, and that is the day the child of man's ancient heritage will be born. Oh, wow. That was the end of it right there. Well, let me read the last paragraph one more time because I feel like I'm going to cheat it. This is the last paragraph of the book, guys. So I, I actually thought this chapter was longer. I, I guess I was a little mistaken. The good religion exists even now. For it is the faith of the few who cherish the seed. It is limited to a small number who hand on the torch. It's the narrow path. And this must continue until the day already appointed. So they're, they're saying that, like, you know, the true religion is always, it, it, if, if, you're, if you find yourself in the majority, you might want to start, you know, but that might be the comfortable and easy path, what they already talked about, right? A lot of people fall into it. it. It's not the right path necessarily. You might have some truth in it, but it's the easy path. And you just find yourself you know, week after week going to this the cyclical circles of just not resolving things, not finding out deeper truths. And you know, you wonder what why, right? Meanwhile, mankind is not ill-served by its many religions, but the day comes when they will no longer serve. And that is the day the child of man's ancient heritage will be born. That's actually a beautiful ending. They're basically saying that that uh, the true religion will be finally will finally blossom and be known. You know, all the others will fall away, and you know when you know the sons of Elohim are reclaimed uh, when they are finally, I guess, truly born. So, um, yeah, wow. So we actually got through that book. I hope you guys enjoyed that. And um, if my hope is, I, I might, you know, touch on some, like, you know, there's a few extra biblical books I would like to touch on, but I do want to revisit the Colbrin. And uh, there's one book I was talking about. I can't even think of the title at the moment. It's late, but it's like, this was only 22 chapters. And that one was like 60 something chapters. And it's like, the book of wisdom, but much more expounded upon. So something I'll be looking forward to in the future. Thank you all for being here with me tonight. And you know, I, I just hope that this was a blessing to you, uh, that this, you know, Barak to you, uh, if, I, if I use that word, that Hebrew word right, and, um, and uh, that this was an encouragement for all of you to treat scripture as a transformative document for you not for others, right? You lead by example and um, and by personal experience. I think that sums it up really well. Love you guys. And I'm going to be closing shop for the night. Hope you guys all have a restful Sabbath. I definitely need it. I worked hard. I hope you guys did too. And I'll be enjoying it tomorrow. So I'll see you guys around.